Well, good morning. Great to see you all. We always love coming over to Chester. We uh, love this city. We always do our Christmas shopping here. Uh, but we, more than the city, we love you guys. We love this people. We love uh, Keith and Rachel. We love what God's doing amongst you. And uh, it's just thrilling, isn't it, to be able to be gathered as the people of God uh, and to just experience his presence. And wasn't it wonderful God speaking to us earlier, just be able to worship him. Out of the last two years that we've had, isn't it wonderful to be together? And I thought that was a great reading that Rachel had. I, I've never, I don't know what version, what version does Rachel use? That's, yeah, well, that's, uh, it's very, it was very interesting. What version of the Bible do you use, Rachel? NLT, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I've never seen that, those verses before in, in that translation. Well, if you've got a Bible, uh, could you turn to Isaiah? There's just a few verses that God's put in my heart for you this morning. I've been praying about what to bring to you. And uh, just to set this in context, we haven't got time to, to really give it historical background, but the people of God are being disciplined by God. See, they've been told consistently that if they lived rightly before him, if they obeyed his precepts, his commandments, his principles for life, if they followed him, if they loved him with all their hearts and they didn't follow after foreign gods, that God would bless them and cause them to be fruitful and multiply and grow in number and take the land and expand. But unfortunately, through consistent bad living, and even though God continued to warn them, if you do this, if you keep going away from me, if you keep following after foreign gods, if you, if you don't live the way that I'm asking you to live, I'm actually going to discipline you. Now, it wasn't the judgment of God, it was the discipline of God. And sometimes God does discipline us. The Bible says he disciplines us for our good. Discipline is not a bad thing. Those of you who've been well-parented will know that discipline is a good thing. Now, it can be mishandled, but God is the best parent, and he disciplines us and disciplines his people for his good. So the people of God are in captivity. They're in problems. They're in difficulty. And Isaiah is writing at the time and actually giving them hope for the future, saying that actually at the end of this discipline, God's going to bring you back to the land and actually his glory is going to shine on you. It is going to rise on you. And actually it's going to be even more glorious than it was before. And if we pick it up from verse, this is Isaiah 62. If we pick it up from, I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 3, uh, verse 5 I think. This is what Isaiah says. And I just want to apply some of the distinctives that we have as New Frontiers, as Christ Central Churches, just want to apply some of those distinctives out of these few verses in this passage. It says this, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a blazing torch. Bearing in mind this is spoken to people in captivity who are in trouble. Nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. And you'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted. That's what they've been called at the moment. Just you're deserted of God. God's given up on you. 
No longer will you be called deserted or your name or, or the name of your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah. Now that particular word, it might say a little note in the bottom of your Bible, depending on what translation you've got. The word Hepzibah means my delight is in her. So you're not going to be called deserted, you're going to be called my delight is in her. And your land, Beulah. What does Beulah mean? Well, it tells you in the bottom, it means married. You're not going to be desolate, you're going to be married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. And as a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living. I thank you it's active. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the word of God. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you'd speak to us by the power of your spirit today living words to transform us, to change us. We ask you, Lord, that we go out of this place different because we've encountered you in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe this is a call to rebuild the church or to build the church. It starts off by saying this, for Zion's sake, I'll not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I'll not keep quiet. And in the Bible, Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem and Jerusalem, are all pictures of the city of God. They're the place where God dwells. It's the place where God's name is glorified. It's a place where his very presence is. If you wanted to find God 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, whenever some of this was written, the place to find him was in the city of God. The place to find him was in Jerusalem. The place to find him was in the temple. The place to find him was there. The sad thing is that unless there's any Jewish high priests here, or Jewish priests here, probably most of us wouldn't even get in, because we're the Gentiles. We were excluded from that. But when God talks about Zion, when he talks about Jerusalem, when Isaiah says, for Zion's sake, I'm not keep quiet, for Jerusalem's sake, I'm not going to be silent, he's basically saying, I'm going to shout about the glory of God, I'm going to shout about God's presence, I'm going to shout about the house where God lives. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible's very clear about the house where God lives. It's very clear what the interpretation of Zion and Jerusalem is. Hebrews 12, verse 22, you, and this is written to Hebrews, it's written to, but it's written to us, you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the church of the firstborn. Dear friends, we are the fulfillment of Zion. We are the fulfillment of Jerusalem. We are the dwelling place of God. Jesus said, when two or three gather in my name, a meeting with less than two or three, I've tried, well, sort of Zoom, I guess, <laughs> but there am I in the midst. I dwell. God's presence, God's glory is now in the church. It's no longer in a temple in the Middle East. It's in the church, wherever the church gathers throughout the whole world. When we gather two or three, that's where God's presence is. And I believe God wants to raise our eyes today to the glory of the church, the glory of the gathered people of God. You see, I think we've been through battles this last two years, and part of it is God's grace, actually, because God is shaking all things, so that which cannot be shaken, the church, his word, 
truth, his love, his faithfulness, as we've been hearing about this morning, will not be shaken. But actually, there's been warfare as well. I don't know if you felt it. It's been an attack, hasn't it, on, you know, we couldn't gather, we couldn't sing, we couldn't meet, we couldn't be together. And as good citizens, we've been obeying the rules as best as we can to honour the government that God has given to us. But it's been like a constriction on us. And now it feels a bit strange as we come back together. And I really feel God saying, I want to lift your eyes to the glory of the gathered community. I want to lift your eyes to the glory of the church. For Zion's sake, I'll not keep quiet. For Jerusalem's sake, I'll not be silent. I'm going to speak up about his glory in the gathered community. I'm going to speak up about him. I don't know about you, but I, I walked into a church like this. It was very similar, perhaps a little smaller, but I was about 16 years old. Any 16-year-olds with us today? No, anyone own up to being 16? No, okay, I was 16 years old. Uh, I got saved at eight, by the way. Any eight-year-olds? No, no eight-year-olds. A few between eight and 16, I guess, looking around. But I got saved at eight in quite a dry, religious, traditional setting where really I didn't experience the glory of God. Really I didn't experience the sense of God coming in the midst, God coming in the... We just went to a service. We went to a religious service. And at 16 years old, I walked into a set and it blew my mind. I thought, wow, God, this God that I'd read about, this God that I knew was real, I, I knew he was real from the pages of the Bible, I knew he was real from my parents' witness, I knew he was real because I'd had an experience of being born again, actually being cleansed, being changed, being transformed inside. I had a personal faith, but I didn't have a corporate faith. Until I joined a church like this in 1979, when I was 16 years old, do the maths. <laughs> 58. <laughs> I'll do it for you. And I saw something of the glorious church. And since then, for Zion's sake, I'm not going to shut up. For Jerusalem's sake, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to tell of the glory of God in the church of Jesus Christ. This is the place to meet God on planet Earth. This is when God, when we gather like this. And I think God's wanting to call you to a new awareness of the glory of God in the church. This is not a meeting you come to. It's not a society that you belong to. It's not a club that you join. It's a body that you are born into. And it's a place, corporately, the glory and the blessing of God. And I believe God wants to call you to a fresh commitment to that. You know, do you just attend? Do you just come along because it's one of the brightest places in town? And Keith and Ron are so lovely and the youth group's great and the, the social action's brilliant. Or do you understand that the gathered church is the very habitation of God on earth? It's the very place where God now we've been through a tough time these last two years and it was interesting I think it was it Tabitha are you, are you still in the meeting or have you gone out with her she gone out with her Tabitha was it you Tabitha who brought the word about the tree I, I was thinking about that yesterday funnily enough and I, I actually you can see in my notes this morning I drew a little picture of a tree in my notes I, I wrote these notes yesterday but I drew the picture this morning so I felt God speak to me about a tree in fact, I felt God speak to me very similar to what you had, Tamitha. Because I, I walked out yesterday in my garden, I saw a tree. It's got a lot of little green shoots on it. 
And I felt God say, it's time to come out of winter in the church. And it's time to understand that it's springtime again. It's time to understand that the glory of God is going to come again to the church. That God's going to fill us again. And these last two years have felt like we've been pruned back. It's felt like winter time. It's felt exactly what Tabitha was saying, that actually branches seem to have fallen off us. And leaves and all the cover, we seem to be a bit exposed. And it's been cold. It's been dreadful. It's been hard. It's been difficult. Or is it just me? But, just as in winter, in the natural, see, first comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. Just as in winter, what happens is, during winter, the tree doesn't die. It goes into some kind of hibernation, but actually, it's a time when its roots go down deeper. It's It's a time when growth is unseen. It's a time when it taps into the life in the soil and the life in the ground. And I believe prophetically what's been happening these last two years is actually the life hasn't been sucked out of us in that sense. Actually, our roots have gone down deeper into Jesus. You just don't realize it. You've gone deeper into Christ. You've gone deeper into him. You've been receiving more from him as you passed into him, as you've coped with the technology and the buttons that don't work and the internet that and the screens that go blank and the, the, all of that stuff has actually caused you to draw closer to him. And I believe you've been drawing nutrients from the soil. You've been drawing stuff from him. And now is the time when we come back together. It's the time for glory in the church again. It's a time for the church to spread our wings again. It's a time for the church to blossom. It's a time for the church to come into green bud. It's a time for the church to fruit again. This is going to be a fruitful season. We're coming out of winter and we're coming into springtime in the church. I believe God wants to open your eyes to the glory of the church. It's interesting in the context here, notice this image he uses. He starts off with an image of a city But the image he actually uses is one of marriage. It's one of real intimacy. It's one of love. I think what God wants to do amongst you this morning, what God wants to do amongst us, is he's bringing us back to our first love. He's bringing us back to love for Jesus. And some of us have kind of lost love for the church a little bit. And the way you get love back for the church It's not for the pastor to say, you must love the church, you must be more committed, you must do more, you must give more, you know. You must come to meetings, come to the prayer meeting, you know, you you must do, 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 you know. None of that's wrong, I love that, I love prayer meetings, I love giving. But the way that we get people committed back to the church is to get them more in love with Jesus. See, the Bible says this, we love because, see, you know the Bible, We love because he first loved us. It's when you glimpse the love of God and all these words, look at the words in here. It talks about splendor, delight, being rejoiced over, being delightful, being married. And some, I think we've got the wrong idea of God. I think we've got the kind of Ofsted God. You know, he's he's come with a bit of an inspection and he's got a bit of a clipboard. Can I borrow that? And you know, it's like ticking a few things off. Have you got this right? Have you got, you know, it's like some kind of supernatural Santa. You know, he's checking his list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out he's been naughty or nice. You know, it's like he's doing that. It's like, 
That's not our God at all. See, that's not, that, that's not God at all. That's not the God that's revealed in the Bible. That's not the God that's revealed in this passage. The God that was revealed in this passage is a God who says he's like a bridegroom being married to the church. In fact, the church is the bride of Christ. And he with his church, assumed with mercy and grace and passion and love of acceptance for you. If you don't feel accepted this morning, see, the trouble is we know too much about ourselves, don't we? See, you all look shiny and bright on the outside, but you know, don't you? <laughs> you know your struggles, you know your weaknesses, you know your failures, you know your sins, you know your difficulties, you know. And you think, well, if I know, I mean, I know Keith doesn't know, thank God. <laughs> keep, keep, him in ha- keep him happy. But you know and you kind of know that God is omniscient and omnipresent and omni-everything. Not omnicron, but omni-everything else. You know, he, he... I never thought of that one before. <laughs> I make a new joke, Anne actually laughs. She doesn't laugh at the old ones. But, she actually, but God's, God, God's, he knows everything. And of course he knows. He looks into the secrets of my heart. He knows what I'm like. Listen, he looks into the secrets of your heart. And he looks with eyes of blazing fire. Not of judgment, but of delight. He delights in you. Yeah, he sees your mess, but he's paid for that on the cross. He sees your sin, and he says, not guilty. He took it to himself. But he looks at you, and he is absolutely delighted with you. This, I mean, it's so clear. That last verse. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. You know, have you ever been to a wedding? I mean, some of you were, some of you were married, I think. <laughs> you might have been to your own, but you know, you, most of us have been, you know. There's something beautiful about every bride, isn't there? And, and the bridegroom, it's not like, oh, well, I'm, you know, second or third best. You know, it's like, you know, I wanted another one, but this one will have to do. You know, this is like, uh, you know, wh- when she comes in, when she comes down the aisle, you know, what can I say? You know, second best. You know, I, 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 I aimed high, didn't reach, but, you know, I got her. But, you know, well, could you just sell? No. He's delighted in her. He's enraptured. He's, he's, he loves her, and she's made herself ready for him. And there's beautiful love. And I hope I'm not offending anyone. A beautiful love and intimacy there. It's just beautiful, isn't it? And that's the image. That's the image that God gives us. This would be sacrilege, it would be heretical unless it was in the Bible. Because we wouldn't think of God being like a bridegroom and his people being like the bride. We wouldn't naturally think of that unless it's in the Bible. But it's in here, folks. And it says, as a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. It's interesting that word rejoice. It's picked up in Zephaniah, actually, one of the Old Testament prophets, Zephaniah 3, verse 17. It says this, He will take great delight in you. He will renew you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Is that your view of God today? Or has he got a clipboard? Tut, tut. Haven't quite lived up. Oh, dear. He rejoices. The Hebrew 
it's, it's, I mean, I don't speak these languages or I haven't particularly studied them, but if you look it up in the concordance, the word there for rejoicing over you, the Hebrew word implies this, huge pleasure, great delight, spinning round with delirious emotions. <laughs> That's not our view of God, but it is God in heaven who delights. And God this morning wants to lift your eyes to the glory of the bride. And the way he wants you to get that is that you see the glory of the bridegroom, that you fall in love with Jesus afresh. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The way to live for him is to be inspired by his love. And I think, you know, get the tone of that. It's not, if you love me, Martin, if you love me, you'll better keep my commandments. You know, it's, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's like the old hymn writer, love so amazing, so divine, demands. You think, well, love demands? That's a bit unreasonable. No, but love so amazing, so divine, demands. My life, my soul, I can't help but give myself to him. I can't help but love him. Why? Because he is so delightful. I love uh, the writings of John Bunyan. Uh, obviously he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. and You've probably heard me say before, he wrote this little chorus, this little ditty. Uh, I won't sing it to you, don't worry. But it goes like this. And it, he contrasts living out of legalism, you ought, you should, you must, and living out of passion living out of the gospel, living out of grace. And this is the little ditty he wrote. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Isn't that beautiful? So that, the law says, run. And you think, okay, I'll try, but without legs and arms, you can't run, you can roll, but you can't run. It's a bit unfair. Better news the gospel. It bids me fly. Actually, it says, come up higher. It says, there's a whole new dimension to fly in. But also, it empowers me. The gospel gives us wings. Not Red Bull. It's the gospel that gives us wings to fly. And that comes from love of God. Paul says, the love of God compels me. It's not the command. In fact, Paul says, if a command could be given that could impart life, it would. But it hasn't. There's been no command that could impart life. I've never had a football kick to me in a church meeting before, but there you go. I'll give it to you back. If a law could be given to impart life, it would. But the law never imparts life. Love does. Love's compelling power. Okay, God wants us to get this glimpse of the glory of the church. And the way that we get that renewed passion is to see the glory of the bridegroom and therefore the glory of his bride. Therefore, we don't talk bad about one another. Therefore, we love one another. Why? Because you're the bride and I'm the bride. It's important we understand that, that we honor the body of Christ. We're the body, this is holy. This is spiritual. This is wonderful. This is God meeting us. So that was my very long first point. Don't worry, the second two will be much quicker. My first point was this. We're called to build the church. That's who we are. 
The second thing is we're called to advance the kingdom, God's rule. That's what we do. And I believe this is really written into your DNA here in Chester, the whole naming of this church of freedom, this whole sense of what we're called to do. Look, you know, it's all about outward looking. It's all about going. It's all about reaching out to people. I love your values there. I love what, what Keith and Rachel embody in terms of reaching out to the poor and the needy, the marginalised, those who don't yet know, those, those who, for no fault of their own, are caught in all sorts of traps and difficulties and deceits and troubles. We're called not just to be the glorious church in a building. We're called to be the glorious church in life. And the biblical word for that is the kingdom, the rule of God. We're... T- we're, we're, we're The Bible says that we're called to reign in life. We are kings. We're princes, princesses. That's who we are. We're we're royal people, royal priesthood, royal blood. That The royal blood of Christ is on us and in us and has cleansed us. And we're part of his family now. But we're called to go and rule in life. Not in a lovely hall on a Sunday morning, but tomorrow morning. So what's the time? It's 25 to 12. Is that the right time? Just have a little think. Have a little think with me. Where will you be at 25 to 12 tomorrow? Some of you might be at school, college. Some of you might be in work. Some of you might be in a community. Some of you might be in home. Anne and I will be in a coffee shop because it's our day off. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Hey, I'm working today, you know. It's like tomorrow's my day off, you know. That's where God wants you to express his love. That's where God wants you to express the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. He's calling you. You see, the church was always supposed to be the place where light shined out into the community, a city on a hill. I think I was preaching with you guys in in, uh, Crewe about this very thing, about us being a city on a hill, about the light shining out from us and shining it's not supposed to be come to our bonfire, you know, come, come to the, come to, we've got this come to us mentality, come to the church, actually Jesus never said come, he said go, <laughs> go to the community, go to the outcasts, go into the supermarkets, go into wells and, you know, in, in, their, in their setting that was the marketplace and, you know, go into homes, go, go, go and shine the light. Be the spirit-filled people of God in the community. And I believe God wants to really commend you, Freedom Church, whether it's here in Chester, whether you're part of the new work that's being established in Wales, so exciting, whether you're part of Crew, God's saying to you, I commend you for your good works. Now, we're not saved by good works. We're saved freely by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But we are saved for good works, which he, God, has prepared in advance for us to do. That's what it says in Ephesians. There are works, good works, for us to walk in. We are his hands and his feet in the community. If Jesus turned up in Chester, where would he go? What would he do? If he turned up in Crewe or in North Wales, where would he go? What would he do? Well, do you know what? He has turned up, and he's turned up in his people And he's sending you out to be kingdom agents for him, wherever you are. It talks in this passage about us shining out like a blazing torch, about people seeing our righteousness. 
It talks about us speaking to kings. What does that mean? I think it means people of authority. Change makers in cities like this. There are governments and councils and authorities. You're called to change those. You're called to be change agents. You're called to reach out to those on the street, those in trouble, those in need, but you're also called to speak into kings, those in power, those in authority, and to shine the light there as well so that things might change, so that there could be the light of Christ could come into this community and these communities where you live. God wants to lift your eyes that you're a kingdom people, you're a ruling people. You're a people because you're royalty, you can speak with authority to rulers and powers. And you can do good. And you can reach out with love and mercy. And you can reach out with grace. So that's the, my second point, that God has called you to advance his kingdom. That's what you do. My last point is this. God has called you to the nations. That's where we're going. See, the church is who we are. The kingdom's what we do. The nations is where we're going. So it talks in this passage about nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. If you do a study of the word nations in the book of Isaiah, you'll find out that it comes 67 times. God's heart is for the nations. God's heart is for every people group. Now, ironically, we were the nations when this was written. <laughs> we tend to think of the nations out there, don't we? You know, the nations are foreigners. We were foreigners. And the gospel came to our shores. The gospel came to us. The gospel came to you. And God wants you to go to the nations, whether that's the geographical nations, and I think we've got some nations in this room. I met a Czechoslovakian. I think we have a Russian here, everywhere. Uh, what, else do we, what else do we have here? Czech, Russian? Welsh. Very good. Austra Australian. Oh, I can't even do that. Austra Australian? South African? Anything else? England. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, the nations are already amongst us. And it's interesting, Chester, I mean, we, I say we do our Christmas shopping in Chester, and if you just listen, hear all sorts of languages being spoken in Chester. Occasionally English. But, you know, because people are coming to this city and coming to these, these this is a sort of touristy area, isn't it? People will come. I mean, Crewe is like the centre of the railways and you know, everything. You have to go through Crewe. Even when Jesus comes again, he's going to have to come through Crewe. Uh, it's just, you know, what, what happens? Change at Crewe. Uh, <laughs> don't make me laugh. <laughs> the nations are amongst us. So whether you have to go geographically to the nations, and some of us will, I mean, hopefully, God willing, COVID tests negative permitting, uh, I'll be in Mexico and USA in the next few days, um, this meeting with our churches there. Some of us will go to the nations, but you know, we have the amazing privilege that the nations come to us. So whether it's the ends of the earth, or the ends of your street, or the ends of your comfort zone, God's calling you to the nations. Now, the other thing, it talks about tribes and nations. You see, we, there are tribes as well. See, our young people are a tribe, aren't they? They are. They're a tribe. Our retired people are a tribe. Sometimes we get 
people who ascribe to certain sports activities. They're a tribe. Or hobbies or musical interests. And there are tribes and nations in Chester and in Crewe and in North Wales that God wants you to infiltrate. He wants you to influence. He wants you to be a kingdom agent showing the love of God to the nations. And I think God wants to open your eyes to that. And what I found is this. Nations, people of different nationality or people of different tribes, are some of the most open people to God speaking to them. They just are. And I believe God wants to open doors for you, for this church, for the nations. He wants to turn up the colour contrast. He wants to turn up the language contrast. He wants to turn up the nationality. See, we don't dial down our nationalities. It's not like we're some great big mixing bowl where it all becomes some grey sludge. Actually, he wants to dial up the colour. So, you know, what does it mean to be a full-blooded Russian? (laughs) We want to find out, because we don't want you to dial it down and become some lukewarm Brit. We want you to become who you are. We want the Czechs to be the Czechs. We want the Poles to be the Poles. We want the French to be the French, I think. (laughs) I grew up in a town, you might have heard of it, called Hastings. In a bad, on a bad day, we could see France, but you know, don't, don't worry about that. Um, but French, even the French, you know, and the Australian, you know, God, God wants colour contrast in his church. We've got a bit monochrome, and God wants us to find out our cultural heritage. He wants the Brits to be the Brits, the English to be the English, the Welsh to... I mean, who can sing like the Welsh? Come on, we need that. I can't ha- quite worked out what the Brits give or what the English give. I know what the Northern Ireland give. They give that passion. Uh, when we sing that first song, that first song was written in, in Belfast. That first song, you know, uh, raise up women of the faith. And, you know, uh, there's such, there's such, when these guys get going, keep, there's such passion, isn't there? And we need that. I don't want him to, I don't want him to come, I don't want him to be English. I don't. I, I'll be English. I want the nations to be the nations amongst us. And therefore, God is dialing up the contrast on you, the colour on you, and saying, I want you to reach out to nations. I want this to be a house of the nations. I want this to be a place. You see, Isaiah 60 says, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It says in Acts 13, This is what the Lord has commanded you. I've made you a light to the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now God's giving you some promises here. As we come out of this winter time, as we come out of this COVID season, as we come into this new normal, we're not going to go back. People, the biggest question I'm asked, and I was listening to a podcast the other day by an international church leader, said exactly the same. What's the number one question you're asked? When will we go back to being normal? We're not. Because normal wasn't that good, actually. There's a new normal. There's something new. You see, this passage here, it kind of says this, and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. There's something new God wants to do. We're coming out of this different. The tree looks different in springtime than it did in winter. 
and we're going to look different. God's done some stuff in us. He's put some things in us. We're to forget the former things. So what Isaiah 43 said, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. It's springtime. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way out of the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And God spoke to us very powerfully. As a, I don't know if you were there, Keith, at our prayer day uh, last, when we've had our first prayer day out of lockdown, I think it was October last year. He spoke to us very powerfully that we have been like this little grub-like figure, <laughs> little worm-like figure. We've been like this little, you know, caterpillar. Not the prettiest thing on planet Earth, is it, a caterpillar? Sort of grubby. It's like that's what we've been like. But through COVID, we've gone into this chrysalis, we've gone into this pupa state. We've gone into this hibernation. It's so that we might emerge differently. Not so that we can come out being a caterpillar again, being a little grub again. It's so that we can come out and fly. It's so that we can come out with wings. So that we can come out with colour. People don't collect caterpillars because they don't look very nice on a wall with a pin stuck in them. But they, I mean, I've got friends who collect butterflies. I, I, was, in, I was in rapture as a kid. I, I couldn't get enough of butterflies. I thought they were amazing, beautiful. And God wants the church to emerge with new beauty, with new color, with new vibrancy, with new authority, with new spheres to fly into, and new influence in society. Dear friends, we're coming out of this different. Have you got faith for that? Is that rising in you? Well, let me encourage you. Let me end where I started. It's all about the love of God. It's all about glory to him. It's all about seeing Jesus and how beautiful and magnificent. We're called Christ central for a reason. It's all about Jesus. Have you lost your first love? Have you found the last two years really tough? Well, he's bringing you back to love for Jesus, passion for Christ. And that's going to change everything. It's going to change how we meet. It's going to change how we evangelize. It's going to change how we go to nations, how we get through our embarrassment and our pride. Why? Because we, some, we love someone more. We love Jesus more. Things are going to change. Something new is happening amongst you. God's got a heart for Wales. I can see a string of churches all the way along the coast, like a string of pearls. And that North Wales coast that has seen such economic decline, has seen such hardship. God's going to cause a butterfly church to emerge. God's going to cause something beautiful to emerge. And crew that's, you know, was once glorious with the railways, we joke about that, there's a new glory coming. And Chester, it's popular with the Romans, <laughs> is again going to host the nations. He's going to see the nations come and be blessed. I wonder, Dave, if we could, we could just sing something to end. I'd just like to pray for us. And what I felt to do is, 
like a wedding, is the most glorious expression of love, but it's also the most glorious expression of commitment, isn't it? Till death us do part. I mean, they're pretty big vows, aren't they? Till death us do part, the old vows said. There's a commitment for life in a marriage ceremony, in a marriage service. I believe God is calling you to new commitment this morning. He's calling you to new commitment to the church, yes. To the kingdom and evangelism, yes. To the nations, yes. But primarily to King Jesus, to who Christ is. You're going to love because you first, because he first loved you. He first loved you. Love of Christ compels you. So I'm just going to pray as we get this. I have no idea what Dave's going to sing, but I'm sure it'll be, knowing Dave, it'll be incredibly relevant. If you just feel this morning, and there's no pressure on this, and not everybody may be able to because of physicality anyway, but if you feel, do you know what? I just want to recommit myself, yes to the gospel, yes to evangelism, yes to the church, but most of all for Jesus. I want to recommit myself to him, my first love. I want to commit my life to him again. Maybe in a setting like this, I don't know everybody. Maybe there's some people here who've never committed their lives to Jesus. And even today, you've seen a little bit of a glimpse of how glorious Christ is. And you want to commit yourself to him. I'd invite you in a moment when we worship to stand. Now, it may be that you physically can't stand. I have a disabled sister who can't stand. But I know she can stand in her heart. I know she can say, yeah, I'm committed because she is. And just, we don't judge anyone who doesn't stand. But I think just as an expression of faith, sometimes there's acts, isn't there? there, there there's, there's prophetic acts. And we're just going to stand and say yes. At the start of the new year, be freshly first love to my first love. And let him and his passion overwhelm me, shape me, change me, and send me out. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, just feel free to start to stand. Lord Jesus, we do commit ourselves to you. Lord, <laughs> it's a bit crazy because actually you were the one who committed yourself to us. You were the one who chose us for a people. We didn't choose you, Lord. You chose us. Lord, the bride, this bridegroom about this bride respond back to our first love we want to respond back to Jesus we want to respond back to him and say Jesus we're yours you can have us Lord everything about us Lord we're yours because you won us you bought us with a price your own blood on the cross and now we're yours Lord we commit ourselves afresh to you just like a bride commits to a bridegroom and a bridegroom commits to a bride we thank you Lord and therefore we ask you Send us out on this new adventure. Wherever we're going to be this time tomorrow, let us bring the love of Christ and the mercy of God so that more pray. We want to see more people saved, not because we want to see bigger numbers, but we want to see more glory to Jesus. We want to see more people shouting hallelujah. We want to see there being a bigger crescendo because more people is more praise. And we want there to be more praise to Jesus. All the earth shouting to him, all the earth worshipping him. And now, Lord, as we finish this meeting, 
we actually do join in with all nations. We do join in with every tribe, every language, every nation. It's already happening in heaven, surrounding the Lamb on the throne. It's actually happening right now on this Sunday around the globe, all nations worshipping you. We worship our Lamb. We worship you, living Lord Jesus. Let's worship him.